all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope this finds you enjoying the beauty of this season and that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We made it back home from Oklahoma, dogs, kids, and all. And we unpacked, we did some laundry, and we packed back up for the road as we have actually now embarked on the Night of Hope Christmas Tour as a family. We would love your prayers as we navigate this whole month of December, honestly. Our girls will be out with us on the road, and then Noah, our oldest, will be traveling back and forth a bit because he's in public school. So we have someone kind of holding down the fort with him and helping with the dogs, sort of home base. We laugh and we call our nanny Maggie more of our dog handler than our nanny because the kids are so much in a groove of life that it's really more the dogs that she has to deal with. But anyway, it's just a lot of details, as you can imagine. I know you have a lot of details in your life, too, so you understand. But I found myself needing to take Bob Goff's advice, if you listen to that episode, when he shared that sometimes he just looks at his calendar only about a day and a half at a time, for the most part. Yes, I'm a mama. And I do have to glance at the whole month a whole lot. But I'm also working on just trying to only take it a day at a time in my micro world. And if I look beyond today, it can really overwhelm me. But lately, if I only have an hour, I've been working at taking that hour to just sit and have my coffee and just be even though I know that the to-do list really says I can't afford that time. I found though, like I said a few episodes ago, we think sometimes we need to be you know, clearing everything for a week in order to rest when all we really need is to be intentional with an hour sometimes. So I've been doing that lately and just asking Jesus to really restore me in that time. And he's been so faithful to do that. Getting to be home for Thanksgiving is always a time for me to literally store up for what's ahead. I think it probably looks different for all of us, but for me, getting to sit by the fire and drink my coffee and say very few words, that's what restores me. Sometimes I feel bad for my parents because they often don't get bubbly Christy. They get exhausted Christy, and we mostly come crawling through their door at Thanksgiving. I think they've figured out by now that my quietness isn't that I don't want to open up to them. And we do find time to open up for sure, but I think they've recognized what they can do to help us get the restoration we need is to just let us be quiet. My dad's ministry to our family is endless coffee, and the most beautiful, well-built fire that you could ever sit in front of. Yes, he takes his coffee seriously. He hand grinds the coffee beans with his burr mill grinder and has the process down to a science as well as the fireplace. He knows just the right moment to get up and go get another log to put on the fire. He has some sort of contraption he installed in the fireplace itself that causes just the right circulation of smoke to happen to keep the logs burning at just the right temperature. He explained it all to me when I was there. Whatever he's doing, it works. The whole thing is rather glorious. And my mom's ministry is definitely comfort food. The days always begin with the smell of bacon and what we call Granny's Pancakes. And of course, the Thanksgiving meal is a cornucopia, if you will, of tried and true favorites from down through the years. My personal favorite is her potato casserole. And she always makes that green salad that has like jello in it and cottage cheese. And then her angel biscuits are so yummy. I don't even eat bread for the most part, but I do eat those angel biscuits. And she made a double batch this year because they were good enough on their own for the next few days and for dessert, for that matter, if you get the idea. 
Anyway, I'm so thankful for a place to hide and be quiet. And at one point I looked around the room, all of us, including, you know, all the adult siblings, were in our pajamas at 11 a.m., sitting in front of that fire, second cup of coffee in, the Hallmark Channel just kind of humming lowly in the background. And as all of us just sat there in complete hibernation mode, (laughs) we were being restored. I like to think of it as literally recharging my battery for mornings like this morning. As I was getting ready, the details of the tour and mama life and making sure everyone is where they need to be and have what they need to have in order to get where they need to be, the words to my own song came to my heart. You weren't made to carry such a load. Lay it down and we can watch it go down the river of grace. All it takes is a little bit of faith and Jesus comes and carries it away down the river of grace. So cast your every care Cast them way out there in the river deep, in the endless supply, and feel your heart rise up from that cleansing flood, so clean and free, so true and alive. It's a lot easier to sing it to all of you than it is to myself, standing there looking at my tired eyes and my furrowed brow in the mirror. But I love how David, the psalmist, sang to his own soul so many times. Like in Psalm 103:2, he said, Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Or in Psalm 43, 5, he said, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. First Samuel 30, verse 6 says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. I love that. During what we imagine will be a very busy month, we are trying to insert some happy times and intentional fun into our month as a family. And I've found that we have to plan ahead to make it happen since we only have a few pockets of time together at home. The other night, we bought tickets to see the movie Elf in our small town theater. Every year, they play some older movies and classics, including It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Vacation, which is hilarious to put those two movies side by side, but you get the point. They pretty much offer in the theater a lot of movies that people watch year after year at home. So it's really a fun outing. Even seeing something as ridiculous as the movie Elf, it's just fun to gather in what is affectionately called our community living room, complete with babies coughing and crying and crawling all over everything. Everyone sings along with the Christmas songs in the movie. And of course, at the end, the place erupts in applause. It's very 1950s and we love it. But it made me remember again how even those seeming and glorious moments are actually pretty glorious at heart. There's something in us that wants to belong to community, to be near each other, even if it's just to see a silly movie we've all seen too many times to count. The heart of it is we want to draw close and belong. At your next outing over the Christmas season, look around you and take it in, even though it might seem not so heavenly. Look for the heaven come to earth in it. It will surprise you. Well, today I'm so excited to get to part one of the Q&A episodes. We had our patrons who helped back and support this podcast come up with the questions. And let me tell you, they came to the table. We are so grateful for our patrons. They are such an encouragement to me. If you want to know more about becoming a patron, I know I tell you this a lot, but you can look up patreon.com slash Christine Ockles. I always have to spell it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can become a monthly supporter of this podcast for 
just $6 a month. It helps us keep this going. And this coming year, we have some exciting things coming your way. And if you're a patron, you will be the first to know about it. So there's that. So let's get into some of these questions. If you submitted a question and you don't hear it this round, it will be on part two. I tried to split them up as best as I could. And hopefully there's something interesting for everyone in these. I thought we'd start with a light one, kind of a fun one. This is from Ashley. She said, Christy, I want to know what hair products you use. (laughs) I love your hair. I have naturally wavy, curly, depending on humidity, sometimes frizzy hair, but I also blow dry it straight some. Give us the rundown from shampoo to other products and how you style it. (laughs) I told you there's something for everyone in this. Hopefully this will be helpful to you. I've actually had several people ask me this question even recently and even asked if I do a hair tutorial, which just makes me laugh. I really do thank the Lord, though, for giving me the hair that he did because of the way it holds up, meaning that I only really have to wash it probably once or twice in seven days. Now, the trade-off of that, of course, is dry hair that drinks in any kind of moisture that you give it. Part of the reason my hair does what it does is that it's very coarse, but I think that some of this can apply to you that have curly hair if it's coarse or not. I don't know. You'll just have to kind of give it a go. I used to straighten my hair a ton or at least curl it. At some point, I just started majorly embracing my natural curl, though. And thankfully, it just works, and it's so much easier. Sometimes I do feel like I'm in seventh grade, but I just go with it. (laughs) So, Ashley, maybe next year I will do this hair tutorial just for you on Patreon. Who knows? But the gist of it is that I use Moroccan oil products. And I promise they're not paying me to tell you, to tell you this. It's that Tiffany blue colored packaging. I know Sephora carries it and many salons carry it. Of course, you can find it online. I love their shampoo and their conditioner. And then I use the straight up Moroccan oil, only about a quarter size. Like I said, my hair drinks this stuff because it's so thick. If you have thinner or finer hair, you'll need to kind of play with the amount of oil that you use. I have no idea what it would do. So after washing my hair, I towel dry it and scrunch in the curl. Because once you've finished with your conditioner and it's rinse, it's important not to disturb the curl at that point. So towel dry and scrunch up your curls. And then I leave it up for a bit just to towel dry at least for like five minutes until it's nice and dry. And this is when I apply the Moroccan oil. Again, about a quarter size, sometimes more. If I have heavy highlights at the time and my color is kind of drying it out, it needs an extra drink. Then I use Moroccan oil's curl cream. Or Not Your Mother's Brand also has this grapeseed oil curl cream that I like too. Not too much of this one, maybe like a nickel size because it can weigh down your curls too much. If I'm not ready to dry it right then, I just tie it right back up in a towel and I kind of just do some other things. I love those hair towels that kind of are tiny and they have a little button in the back. They're so much easier to walk around in, but this is just kind of lets the product marinate on my hair a little bit. Again, it's a process because I only do this once or twice a week. And when I'm ready to dry, I use a hairdryer with an attached diffuser and I turn my head upside down into the diffuser and it just takes some time. You want it to be on the highest and hottest setting that you can stand and just kind of scrunch up your curls as you go. And when it's about halfway dry, this is when I stop and I use a pomade of some sort. Lately, I have started using this one that my husband brought home from this mainly like man haircut place. So I think it's totally made for men, but I love this stuff. I have no idea if you can find it 
it online. I'm sure you can. It's called, I'm going to guess, Ruzel. It's spelled R-E-U-Z-E-L. And it's called Holland's Finest Palmade. And it has this high sheen to it. This needs to be in small amounts at first until you get used to how much you need. But just scrunch it into your curls all around your head and then continue drying until it's dry all over. And you can do this step with any pomade that you like. I just particularly like this one. I don't know. I usually don't use any hairspray, though. I like for my curls to be just held by a pomade but stay soft. And then from there, sometimes I do like a styling wand, not like a traditional curling iron, but the wand that kind of gets skinnier as you go to the, towards the end. And I angle it upside down and I wrap my hair around it if I need to get some definition. Another option that I do quite often is just that I wash my hair at night and I will sometimes do the whole product routine minus the pomade and just sleep on it wet. You maybe could just try this. I don't know. Sometimes I wake up and it's like, wow, I need to sort of wet it and just start over and use the hairdryer. But about 80% of the time it works for me and dries a good kind of crazy. And then I would just do the pomade at that point and maybe hit it with the diffuser, just kind of fluff it up a little bit. And the wand, of course, if needed. But all in all, my hair is always better the second day. I'm sure you would agree. And it's really great the third and fourth day. But then it's sort of a waiting game from there. But if I want more of a less curly and more of like a wavy polished look, 100% of the time I sleep on it wet with the oil and the cream in it. And then I wake up and I let it kind of just air dry naturally all the way. And then I would take a traditional curling arm with a clamp and I would run it through my hair in big waves. For me, this works better than trying to like blow it dry with all the heat and then try to like smooth the curls. Something about sleeping on it wet just makes it softer and less frizzy for me. Again, you just have to try it and see if it works with your texture. Hopefully, this was at least entertaining to some of you. Thank you, Ashley, and happy styling. And before I get to the next question, let me just say that we are actually on tour right now. We're in a green room and sound check is beginning. So our band is out there. So if you hear a noise in the background, that is what you're hearing. <laughs> Keeping it real. Marcy, she asked, you talked about the beautiful home shows, the twinkling lights and quilt evening with you and Nathan playing songs from the Lullaby album. Will there be more lullaby shows in the near future? The answer to this question is yes. If you didn't hear that particular episode that Marcy is referring to, I talked about how I had expressed to a few close friends how I'd love to somehow do a tour night under the stars with twinkling lights and even just some quilts down front for kids to sit on. And I joked that we could even charge by the quilt, like how many other people you can fit on a quilt you can bring and then just bring it on. I was using this as an example of God just tending to even the things we just kind of throw out there desires that are just those what if kind of desires, the ones you think maybe won't really happen, but they're fun to dream up and talk about. For the week of the release of Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved, we did a few house shows and God showed up and surprised me at each one of those, even down to the homeowner providing twinkly lights and quilts on the grass in front of the stage, complete with little girls doing acrobatics while we sang over them. It was purely magical. And I felt just so seen by God. I didn't even really tell either homeowner about those wishes, but both of those events turned out to be so unexpectedly glorious in so many ways. 
And we will be touring the Lullaby album in the spring and in the fall in 2018. I'm not sure that they will be underneath the actual stars that God put in the sky, but hopefully twinkly lights will do. But if you're listening to this during the month of December, I have to say that we rehearsed our Christmas show at the beginning of the week, and I got a bit teary-eyed as I looked around. It has turned out to be quite a special night that we're so looking forward to. So if you catch this in time, and if you're looking for an experience as a family or with your friends, consider joining us if we're in a town near you. I truly believe so much in these songs, both from The Thrill of Hope, my Christmas album, and the Lullaby record as well. Not just as words put to melody, but the story they tell and the hope that they bring. There's been something actually very special about combining the two records live that has just been such a sweet part of what I want our own family to remember together this Christmas, just really savoring together the hope we have in Jesus, and then in turn remembering together that we are the hope of the world because we belong to Him. All of that info, as always, is on my website. If you want to come out and see us, we'd love to see you there. The next question is from Nikki, and she said, I'd love to hear what your songwriting process is like. How much of it is waiting for inspiration to strike, and how much of it is disciplining yourself to work at it? So hopefully my songwriting process can translate to things in your life if you're not a songwriter. Maybe you keep a blog or even you have creative projects that you're working on, but hopefully you can glean from it. At least you'll find it maybe interesting. But the first thing that I have to embrace, I think, as a songwriter and as a person who's just creative is that the same formula doesn't work on everything. Just like God speaks in a myriad of ways, I think we can create and work in a myriad of ways, and it doesn't have to be the same every time. Also, my process might not work for the next person. But what I've found is I'm always intrigued and I've found that I can at least learn from other people's processes. So to answer your question, Nikki, it's actually a little bit of both. Some of it comes like little lightning strikes of inspiration and some of it happens when I have to buckle down with it. And most often, both of those things happen as I'm writing. Often the concept for the song happens like the little lightning strike. And then the refining of the song and the finishing of it happens when I have to get discipline with it. I think on an episode a while ago, I talked about how lately the most inspired I get is actually in the bathtub of all places. <laughs> I think I told you that I didn't used to be a bath person because for many years, my bathtub was like the Barbie public pool and I never felt the energy to clear the pool. It was just too much work. But in this new season where I have sanctioned my bathtub as my own personal space, lots of little lightning bolts hit my heart in the tub for whatever reason. I've even just purchased one of those little wooden tub accessories that you like lay across the top of your tub and you can put a candle on it or a cup of tea and various other sundries. I love that word, by the way, sundries. That's very 1950s as well. But anyway, I often take at least a piece of paper and a pencil with me to the bathtub, not my phone. I've learned that lesson the hard way. I mean, it actually involved a toilet, but you know, water and phones, they don't get along. But I found that I need a piece of paper, at least close, just to jot things down. I've shared before how when I had kids, I had to get over the fact that I wasn't going to have long candlelit songwriting sessions and Bible studies like I used to have as long as my kids were little, unless I was on a trip away from home. But the absence of that taught me to learn how to songwrite on the run. Or sometimes I even work on podcast ideas as I'm doing other things. A long car ride is perfect. But I've learned to use 
use the voice memo feature on my iPhone. Otherwise, the melodies and lyrics and ideas that come to me would literally be lost forever. In fact, the person I write with the most is my husband, but often he's working on someone else's project, and so I sometimes have to wait my turn in line to get his attention on something. So what we do is when we each get time, we record little bits. It's kind of what we call them. I fill up my iPhone with little melodies and lyrics and ideas, and he records little piano and guitar hooks. He's not a lyricist, but he does offer his thoughts on lyrics, which I always welcome for real. Maybe not like in the first seven years of our marriage, but definitely the last decade or so. Nathan has become someone that I actually look up to in many ways, and I respect him a lot as a musician. So I love running things by him. So then when we get together to write... We each kind of start going through our little bits that we've recorded. And the fun part is kind of seeing how they actually fit together. It's actually quite miraculous how it happens. We each usually end up having to sort of bend our idea a bit. But I will say it always turns out better somehow when we let each other's ideas inspire us and lead us down a unified path. And here's another thing that works for us. If we are writing an album full of songs, like the Lullaby album was 15 songs and counting, we actually had to drop some of the songs and ideas that we had. But we could have kept going because it was so much fun and so life-giving to do these songs. But often, once we get the melodies for the different sections of the songs that we need, I will actually go and fill in the lyrics later on my own. So it's just a better use of time. So initially, it's getting the shape of the song musically. And then I can take that melody and labor over the lyrics on my own time. And that helps us to keep our together time super efficient. Since I've got Christmas songs on my heart, the song Wrap This One Up from the Thrill of Hope album is such a great example of a little lightning bolt that happened in the bathtub. When I first started singing it, it was very different than how the entire song turned out. But initially, just that phrase in melody, wrap this one up, came to me in the tub. And I wrote down any initial thoughts that I had that day. One of the first ones was actually just like a present being wrapped, like a Christmas present. Now that didn't make the song, but sometimes it just takes brainstorming through those things to tell the story that you want to tell. So I had this phrase, right, that I loved, and that's when I had to just kind of get still and listen. When I get still with it, I'll start to even kind of visualize things. And in this case, I began to see Mary swaddling up Jesus, and I'd sing that phrase, wrap this one up, and imagine that in my mind. And then my mind wondered too, and if you remember me sharing about this, that there are actually some Jewish writings that talk about shepherds caring for sheep that were destined for the temple for sacrifice. These shepherds were under special rabbi care because all of it had to be properly done to line up with the law. And it had to be a spotless male lamb. And some writings even say that these lambs were swaddled in strips of cloth while they were being inspected for blemishes so that they wouldn't thrash about and get dirty. Many scholars believe that the very shepherds that the angels appeared to in Bethlehem could very well have been those very shepherds keeping watch over temple sheep at Migdal Eider. And you can actually look up biblical prophecies of Migdal Eider. There's one in Micah. It's a real thing. It means tower of the flock. But this is why scholars believed it would have been important that the angels said to the shepherds, and this will be a sign to you. It's as if they were saying, you shepherds will understand this when we say that you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. They would have known where to go to find swaddling clothes 
because they use them all the time. So this gives you an idea of what kind of research can go into some songs. These are not facts, of course, that are written in the Bible. That's important to point out, so I always want to be careful to say that I'm taking artistic liberty with some songs, especially with the imagery of this song. We don't know for sure if those were the very shepherds that the angels appeared to, but I'm careful to say, of course, this is not the word of the Lord. I'm simply telling a story, a what if, but I do believe God would have left us all kinds of these glorious little mysteries to discover. I absolutely do believe that. I think it's safe to say when we stumble on it and it bears fruit and you can find evidence of other things surrounding it in Scripture, it's pretty exciting. And as a songwriter, I like to think of how Jesus would have walked through vineyards and he taught on abiding. You know, John 15, I imagine he stopped to hold the grapes in his hand and even sample a few of them along the way. It's the glory glorious and the mundane at its finest. So anyway, I leave the bathtub with wrap this one up, basically that phrase, and a hunch that this needs to be a song about beholding Jesus, the Lamb of God. So now for the next few weeks, while I'm doing dishes or folding laundry or running errands, I intentionally pull up in my Rolodex, in my brain, what I'd like to work on while I'm doing other things. I'll pray for real, and I invite Jesus into it, just like every time before I record this podcast, I pray and invite Jesus into it, the Holy Spirit to move. But I ask him to help me as a songwriter, tell the story. I'll pick one section at a time, and sometimes I just have the melody. I rarely just have lyrics, but sometimes I do. I'd say 80% of the time, though, the lyrics happen as I'm crafting the melody at the same time. So as a songwriter, any kind of writer, you want to tell a story in a way that just sings, if that makes sense. Even when there's not a melody, something can sing. In fact, the way I record this podcast, I try to make it sing to you. That's so nerdy, but it's true. So at the kitchen sink or folding laundry, I start working on one section at a time. How do we visualize these lambs being swaddled? Who cares for them? How can the story sing? So the verse ended up being, Oh, the call of a shepherd in a field nearby to tend and to carry his flocks by night. They were not ordinary sheep. They were set apart, born to be Passover lambs. And when a spotless male was born, he was held on the manger floor, swaddled up just to keep him calm until his time. And the shepherd sang. What would he sing? I guess I imagined the shepherd in the middle of his mundane, doing a job that he does every day of his life. Maybe it's a little bit monotonous to him at this point. Maybe every day he sings this chorus to these little lambs. Wrap this one up. He is a lamb without blemish. Wrap this one up. He'll make his way to the temple. Born for sacrifice, he'll join the others and pay the price. Wrap this one up. Wrap this one up. So by this point, I at least have a verse and chorus lyric and a melody that I love, and it seems to be working. Now I've got to run to the grocery store or have a long drive somewhere to a concert. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, second verse. Here we go. Since it's a Christmas song, and since Jesus was the most important swaddling of all time, I've got to paint the picture of this perfect lamb being swaddled. I like the setting of the first verse. You feel like you're right there with the shepherd. And so I'm thinking, how can I do that with Mary and Jesus now? And even liked how just the vowel sounds sounded in that first verse. I learned as a songwriter that that's actually a thing. In fact, Nathan was telling me the other day, did you know that lots of pop songs are actually born just because they liked how a vowel sound sounded? 
So they actually just sing nonsense sounds over the melody until it sounds like something. He was telling me that Mutt Lang, who produced Shania Twain and Def Leppard, would do this when they would write songs in the studio. He actually told me this story that Mutt Lang and one of the guys from Def Leppard, if you remember that band, they each kind of separately sang nonsense words over this melody and over this track that they already had. And then each of them listened to the other thing and they tried to decipher what the other person said. And that's actually how they came up with the title of the song and the whole concept of the song, just by singing like vowel sounds. Super deep, huh? (laughs) Anyway, back to verse two. Now as I'm like pushing my grocery cart or in the carpool line, but I'm really thousands of miles away sitting on a manger floor with Mary and baby Jesus somehow, I start to form the words, Oh, the call of a mother in a town nearby to tend and to carry on this holy night. Not an ordinary child, but the Son of God, breathed by the Holy Spirit. And when the baby king was born, he was held on the manger floor. As she swaddled him up, she knew his time would come as she sang. So yeah, maybe that took me the whole grocery store route to just get maybe a few lines of that that I loved. And then I'd work on it some more at home. And then the second chorus comes, which 95% of the time, most songs have the same chorus. There's usually not multiple lyrics on choruses, but this is a Christmas song, y'all. So I just went all out. I wanted to make much of Mary swaddling Jesus as any mother would, but the imagery is so beautiful as we can go back to that sacrificial lamb being swaddled and set apart. But you could also go to adorning a king here, which I love. Yes, they were dirty strips of cloth, but that was how Jesus rolled as a king. So the second chorus says, wrap this one up. He is the one that we adore. I imagine her holding him up. Wrap this one up. He'll wear the crown forevermore. He's come for you and me. He'll finally set us free. Wrap this one up. Wrap this one up. He's the one. Now here's where the bridge of a song sits, usually after the first or second verse. You want it to really lift you somewhere. I decided for this bridge that since I was tearing up on most of these lyrics, yes, sometimes I cry at my own lyrics. Again, I'm a nerd. I decided that I wanted to respond with something that was familiar and easy to sing. I wanted to sort of just rise up with a song from my heart that was like, yes, Jesus, you're the one. So insert here the age-old song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. I could probably stop with my songwriting class at this point, but we need to go ahead and give the third verse its chance. I still tear up almost every time I sing it. Oh, the call of a Savior on a hill nearby. All alone, he would carry the weight of all mankind. Becoming the curse for us, he gave his life, for he knew that his time would come. Wrap this one up. He is the lamb without blemish. We're in the tomb here, of course. Wrap this one up. He paid the price and it is finished. But death would have no sting. He rose in victory. Hallelujah to the king. And then, of course, we can't not to go back into that bridge of Gloria in Excelsis Deo. But you get the idea. I guess that's a good and really long example of how one phrase that pops in your heart can lead to an entire full-blown story, and you've also gotten all your errands done at the same time. Next time a phrase pops in your mind, write it down, because you never know 
where it might lead. This next question goes along beautifully with the songwriter question, I think. And in fact, I kind of referenced it earlier, but Amanda asked, I've always been fascinated by all the ways that God speaks to his children. I would love to know how you hear God speak to you most prevalently. First of all, I think this can be a little bit of a touchy subject for some people because there are definitely parts of the church that don't focus on hearing from the Lord. And there are actually many people who don't even believe that we can hear from the Lord in this day and age. I think part of the problem is that we are human. And honestly, well, that's most of the problem. Humans just make things messy. And our personalities can sort of get in the way of really great and glorious things sometimes. I'm sure that I have many times gotten in the way of what God wanted to do. I do believe that we can hear from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And here are actually some great scriptures about hearing from God. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Isaiah 30.21 says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. John 10.27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I think for me, most of the time, it's that still small voice, and it can happen anywhere, even in the tub, as I've shared. I've heard it described as a knowing deep in the heart, and I can identify with that. Another thing that I notice is that somehow it just meets me right where I am, and even though it sounds like my own voice in my head, it's usually something I wouldn't say, or at least in a way that I wouldn't necessarily say it. I've learned a lot through my friend Larry Green with Cloud Rock Ministries in Alpharetta. He and his wife help people learn how to not only hear God's voice, but to fall in love with this God as they're beginning to learn to sit with Him and hear from Him. Scripture, of course, is a very common way that God speaks since His Word is living and active. But I've heard Larry say so many times that the key to this is that we ask the Holy Spirit to speak through His Word with His understanding and not our own. So I've learned that that's very vital when I sit down with God's word to ask the Holy Spirit, come and reveal your word to me with your understanding and not my own. But beyond that, I think that he can speak through our thoughts, like I mentioned. I believe he speaks through visions and dreams and pictures. It could just be a felt sense. For me, it's often tears. Tears are a way that I feel and sense him speaking to me. For instance, something will bring me to tears, so I then investigate what it was. Even just today, I actually teared up as I thought about what my manager, Matt, has done for Nathan and I in getting ready for this Christmas tour. The amount of work he has put in for us is just astounding. And Matt does all of this through such a place of love in his heart for Nathan and I. And and he does it from such a place of excellence. And I was sitting there thinking about it today and it brought me to tears. But then I heard this still small voice. You need to make sure you let Matt know how specifically grateful you are for him as soon as you can. Honestly, at first, I might take credit for it. I might think, wow, that's really sweet of me to think of that. 
But when I really stopped to think about it and investigate that felt sense, those tears that came upon me in a busy airport lunch spot over a taco salad, I believe with all my heart that that was the Holy Spirit nudging me to be grateful out loud for the people that he's put around me and to encourage and lift up Matt for doing such an incredible job. So that's just one of those examples of a felt sense. Tears are big for me and just knowing I've got to listen if that comes. I'd say in general too, it's usually very specific and it's not how I'd give my own self a pep talk. It's actually much better and much deeper than that. Like the time I told you once that I was exhausted and I was getting ready for a concert one night and I literally was having these feelings like, for real, does this even matter? Will anyone even be there? Does anyone really care? And it was one of those times I was looking at myself in the mirror and realizing the chore it was going to be to make myself look chipper and ready to go. And the Holy Spirit said so clearly to me, keep digging deep wells. Again, that wouldn't have been my pep talk to myself in that moment. It might have been more like, you can do this, girl. You got this. People are going to be there. People are going to be with you and you're going to feel really great about yourself once you've just gotten there and you just start doing it. No, he simply said, keep digging deep wells. It spoke so much more deeply to me than a pep talk. First of all, he said, keep digging deep wells, which led me to believe that it was something I had already been doing which was a true encouragement to me personally, as I've always wanted there to be depth and great meaning to the things I'm a part of and the art that I share. He also encouraged me that regardless of what I felt like or what I could see or how I doubted that what we were gonna bring that night would help anyone, he said, do it anyway. And I just had this great sense that he was with me. And suddenly it was enough. And that night, a snowy Valentine's night, the Lord indeed met us there. I'll never forget what sort of just broke the room open in a really sweet way is that I'd started singing the worship song called The Heart of Worship, and a man around the age of 80 years old stood up while everyone else in the whole place was seated, and he just lifted his hands to God. And before we knew it, the entire room was on their feet, totally engaged in worship. It was so surprising and beautiful, and I'll never forget just standing inside of that promise and those words, just keep digging deep wells. Here's another great question. Leilani says, I imagine your home to be peaceful even amidst the chaos of life. What are some of the daily routines and or house rules that promote peace in your home? We have five daughters, 11, 8, 7, and four-year-old twins. And I feel like I'm constantly putting out fires. There's a lot of natural bent towards anxiety and this mama is exhausted. My prayer for years now has just been for a peaceful home. Girl, I love your heart in this. I wish I had some magic words, honestly. I can only share the things that we have tried to do through the years. Wow, five girls, I will say, is much different than a boy and two girls. Your quiver is full and unique and beautiful, but I know it has to be so challenging as well. We've had to remember over and over that Nathan and I are the tone setters in the house, we are the thermostat of our home, not our kids. And believe me, that they will try to be the thermostat every day. We do expect a lot of our kids when it comes to their character. And you know what? They rise to the occasion. 
we're actually not strict on any daily routines or getting our kids to perform on any level for us. I'm not saying that any of you are doing that, but our lives are way too all over the place to have daily routines. And I've learned that when it comes down to it, I'd rather have their hearts soft and moldable after a big struggle rather than perform their way through life and never get the chance to really get on a heart level with us and with the Lord. I remember when we were in a season like you're in when the kids were particularly argumentative and it was making me feel like I was going to lose my mind. I remember handwriting and posting scripture on paper above every light switch in our home for a while, something that they could see every single day and get it stuck in their sight, in their mind, and in their heart. And when I'd see the scripture during the day, I'd end up just praying it out loud over the house and over the kids. And here are just some other practical things. Again, there's no magic words here, many of which... um, Um, I've shared before, but one of the ways that we set the tone is that we put all of our lights on dimmers. I know a lot of you are laughing. My friends actually make fun of me for the amount of lamps that we have in our home so that overhead lighting does not exist. I know it sounds strange and maybe stupid, but sometimes we do not even know what's agitating us, especially kids don't often even know how to express what's causing frustrations. But I know for our kids, literally bad lighting makes them feel a certain way. Noise is another thing. Noise can cause big frustrations. Our youngest in particular is sensitive to noises and our middle child is more a lighting sensitivity. She likes lamp light, that helps chill her out. We've always enforced keeping the volume low in our house. Even since our kids were babies, we taught them how to have inside voices. I know that a lot of people would push back on this and say that that's not letting your child be who they are and that kids need to be free to express themselves. Our children are free to express themselves anytime outside. (laughs) We've always tried to establish inside voices in whatever establishment our kids are in, whether that's a restaurant, the church, bus, home, wherever we are. And also just to learn how to be respectful of other people in the room and how to be respectful to each other. Also, outside noise can be super agitating. So unless we're going to watch something together, the TV just stays off before and after dinner. And really most of the day, unless, like I said, we just have something specific we're going to watch. But Nathan has put some speakers in our kitchen and our dining area, and we just made a playlist that's called Chill. And it's got all our favorites on it just chill music that puts everyone at ease. We play that throughout the house, even sometimes when the girls are homeschooling. And we have sound machines in every bedroom that create white noise. Each kid has had one of these since they were babies, and that not only helps keep out unwanted noise, but often we just would turn it on like 30 minutes before bed, and it just signals to them that it's chill time. And we bring them on the road with this as well. In fact, to this day, we have those sound machines with us even now on the road. But one thing always that we've tried to do is stay ahead of the blow-ups or the forest fires, as Nathan would say. He has always been great about this to just help me gauge when it's time to do something before a fire starts. He'd say it like this, that each little kid is his, her, her own little bonfire. And there's certain times during the day when those bonfires together tend to make a forest fire every single time. It's almost unavoidable unless you separate the bonfires several times a day. Like get in a routine, get everyone off in their own space several times a day, especially late 
afternoon and evening when it seems that everyone is just a bit expired, Nathan would often say to our kids, go spend time getting better at something. And he would kind of send them off. But it's so important, I think, to stay ahead of all those things and kind of feel out things before they happen. Those are just some of the things that we've done. I told you earlier, I'm a nerd. We're nerds. That's just what we've done. I think this actually leads beautifully into the last question. Lisa asked, how do you involve your kids when you have so much to do yourself? And do they ever balk or do they not want to be there? Involving our kids has always been a must for us. In fact, we've made some pretty big life decisions based around it. When we laid down our Watermark career back in 2005, our heart for our kids was at the heart of it. I think we were so exhausted at that point that had we kept going as we were, I really don't think we'd still be around to this day doing what we're doing, and I don't think we'd be the same people for sure. Learning to live from the bullseye, or our belovedness, I should say, really saved us in so many ways. And honestly, our prayer is somehow it preserved to this day the way our children view Jesus and his church. That would be our prayer anyway. If you listened, when I had my brother Eric on as a guest, he said one of his goals in life is to always associate joy and freedom with Christ and the church. And that can actually be a very tricky thing when your job involves church and ministry is your life. Those lines can become very blurred and it's very easy to get in sort of autopilot mode. And it's also easy for our children to just start resenting ministry and the church, as well as even become indifferent altogether about it. Our hope and our prayer would be that it's sacred to them and it's something that they choose for themselves as adults to participate in the beauty of the church, to be the church. So I think to preface us involving our kids, it's important to mention that we had to know when it was time to pull back altogether. You have to know when to look around and sense that Wow, everyone needs a break. We need to pull back and fight for some margin in our lives. It's so important to recognize that and act on it and do what it takes to remedy it. I think because we have been sensitive to that, the times we have said, okay, we are all in here, the kids have been more up for it. It's also important just to have those lunchtime conversations after church or after a concert to say, wow, that was really special today, wasn't it? That was amazing tonight, wasn't it? And get them talking about it. Kids can sense the Holy Spirit. Kids have a keen awareness of spiritual things. That's probably shocked me and impressed me more than anything as a parent of tweens and teens. They have a massive radar for authenticity. They are ready for way more combos than you think they are. They want to have mature conversations. They want to know about God moving because it helps make the other parts of the church that can sometimes feel really big and programmy, which I'm not knocking large churches. We actually go to a very large church, and I do know what it takes to operate large churches. But I guess what I'm saying is that it's important for kids to know what is at the core of the apple, if you will. What's at the heart of it? They will get behind it more and more if they see that it's something worth giving time to. It's something worth fighting for. It's kind of the same idea that Nathan and I very much can't get on stage and act like totally different people all, all of a sudden. Our kids would be the first to call us on it. Our kids would probably balk at it for sure and at least have a sorry attitude if they were sensing that. I will say this, if you have kids who are balking and they're not wanting to be involved, sometimes it's just a phase. 
Sometimes it's actual hormonal stuff going on that's very real. For boys, we've learned that it happens way earlier than we thought. Boys can actually be harder, at least in our case, when they're more around 9 or 10 years old. Like 9 to 11 was actually really hard for us. Girls, I do think it's a little bit later. That's just been our experience anyway. But we've gone through phases when our kids have balked, seasons where they were definitely kind of disconnected and it took great measures of us like looking into it. We needed to step in and our leadership of just having more conversations, more pulling back and resting, more encouraging them right where they were and less of us just hammering away at our own thing. We have always been very strategic in what things to not involve the kids in. Days or events that we think would be very draining for them as far as schedule. On the tour, we have been strategic to give them a few nights where they can just be at home and we'll kind of jet off and do a few things and we'll come back. It helps the morale somehow to just pay attention to those things. Thankfully, our children have developed a love for music. All of them are musical and they begin to be musical with us, which has been very exciting. I think that started by having them with us at sound checks from the time they were really little, even when we would lead at church, still to this day, they go with us. And it, nowadays we have to be at church at 6 a.m. if we're volunteering and they come with us. They actually rarely ever complain because church has become something important to them, thankfully. And we pray that it will stay that way. That did not come easy. As I've said, we've had to make strategic decisions along the way to preserve our little family. And still, we'll have to make strategic decisions in the future. We let them speak into things. I've even often straight up asked them, am I doing too much right now? Would you like me to travel less? We let them have a voice. They know that we have the final word, but they do know that their voice is heard and that it matters. So I think overall, it's such a give and take. Every season is different. Sometimes you hit it hard, sometimes you don't. If you hit it hard, make sure you involve your kids behind the why. If Nathan's going to travel with another worship leader on a tour or an artist or do their record for a couple of months, we make sure that our kids meet that person and know how God is using that person. And they are able to get a taste of that person's influence and calling. We tell them those things. We say, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're passionate about this. Here's why we feel like this sacrifice for a few weeks or months is worth it. Our kids have surprised us many times when we've been intentional to voice those things to them. If you feel like you've done everything you can to be flexible and sensitive as a parent and they are still balking, I think it's so important not to judge them and make them feel removed because they don't have a passion or love for what you do or even for the church right now. Pray for them. Love them right where they are. Do special things for them without even mentioning things that you wish they would do for you or how you'd wish they'd do this or that. You always want the environment that you are a part of creating or your ministry to be a loving place where they feel safe, especially if it's the church. I think it's also important, and this is a big one, and it's probably like a whole other podcast, but <laughs> I had to learn to separate my identity from the way my children were acting. In other words, there have been many times that I had to release the way that my kids were responding or bulking or whatever they were doing to Jesus, especially if I knew I had done everything in my heart to shepherd their hearts well. I have to separate their choices from my sense of worth 
and any sort of sense of accomplishment as a parent. And honestly, to do that when they are responding as well, it's just as important to still release them. They are their own person with their own journey and story with Jesus, and it's so important to shepherd them well. But the most important thing we can do to shepherd them well is lead them to the shepherd and pray that he will capture their hearts. If there's anything I find myself praying for my kids over and over, I think I've told you before, is that they would love the Lord deep in their heart and soul, a love that just can't get away from them. And if that one thing happens, I'm actually confident that the rest will follow in their lives. So it's just leading them to the shepherd and sort of just releasing their actions, releasing how they're responding, whether that's negative or whether it's positive, releasing them to the shepherd and letting Jesus really lead them. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If you're catching this podcast early enough in the month of December, I mentioned we're out on the Night of Hope tour and we would love to see you. Check christyknuckles.com to see if we're in a city near you. We would absolutely love for you to join us. Remember the thrill of hope. My Christmas album is available everywhere you're listening to music this season, as well as Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved. You can actually get physical copies of those and so much more right now on my web store. There's some darling podcast apparel and gifts right now as well that will make great Christmas presents. Just saying. Part two of this Q&A episode will be coming up soon. It will be fun to jump back into some of these great questions. Thank you again to the patrons for submitting those. Until then, have a glorious week and I will talk to you soon. 